0: Welcome to Media Culture and Why We Feel Like Crying So Much.
1: Each week we analyze everyday media objects like TikToks, reality TV shows, songs, films, and more.
0: We hope to offer profound insights into our shared reality. I'm Grant Latanzi.
1: And I'm Stephanie Che. Today we are talking about weddings and Guideboard's idea of the spectacle and other ways that concept shows up in our everyday lives.
0: I don't know about you, but I feel like week to week, especially now that we've been recording these, this is our third one that we're recording, I am very aware that a lot of my day is spent with media. I work from home, and obviously I'm on all the sort of social media sites that are popular in 2022, and it's media life, that phrase that keeps I keep using and and like to use. So let's get into it. Let's talk about our stuff we have. I brought this picture. It's a screenshot of a McDonald's ad and there's a lot to unpack. So it's a video of Times Square and one of the ads in Times Square is a tweet from the official McDonald's account that it's a meme. They're like using capitalization and not capitalization to create a mock voice effect in the text. And the idea is we have food at home, like, as if someone might say that in a response to someone else wanting to get McDonald's. And then someone records a TikTok of that screen in Times Square of that tweet, and they put text over it, POV, a tweet you wrote from the couch is now in Times Square. And then the caption is, I'm literally shaking sponsored content, promoted music, And I just, I saw this and I knew we had to bring it into today's episode for several reasons. The first is that I'm sorry, I, uh, this trend that companies are doing where it's like a facade of a college intern or something that is running this mega corporation, social media account with seemingly no oversight and able Mm -hmm. to just post whatever they want as if it were their personal account. So fake, first of all, so fake. It's almost as if like Ronald McDonald was talking to you. And so I was thinking like, who is this this person behind these voices that is talking to me? Because it's like all these different institutions, organizations, and corporations especially are talking to me through their content, through their ads, or public outreach or whatever they're doing. They're putting out these ads and they're sort of like uh, what I'm really assuming is a fake human underneath. And I kind of think that that fake person talking to me through ads is the same, regardless of if it's from McDonald's or Walmart or Amazon or Apple or whoever. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the spectacle. So that's my sort of my connection to the episode. We're gonna be talking about an idea today called the spectacle, and it's sort of averse to a concrete definition. It's a little bit like ideas like consciousness or thought. We can't really define it in a way that's satisfying, but we can come to think about it and use it in our thinking to understand things. The other reason I thought this was really interesting is because when I think of the spectacle, which all I'll say about it now is that it is something that sort of emerges Underneath and around the mass media material environment we're in, it, and I know that's vague, but I, when I read this book, *The Society of the Spectacle* by Guy Debord, I kept thinking about Times Square and picturing Times Square and all the images floating around, and it truly is—it's it, a spectacle. Mm-hmm. I just thought this ad was such an interesting entryway because. We're dealing with two social media platforms and a corporation, but also this, like, manufactured sincerity Mm -hmm. that I'm not buying. I don't think a lot of people buy it. I've heard many people be critical of the, like, fake intern trope. But, yeah, this was something from my media this week that really jumped out to me.
1: I find it comical of how corporations are using social media right now and how... I've seen a couple businesses and companies make fun of itself by like having the marketing team be like oh why are we so behind on the trends and it's like uh legal being like oh it's me I'm the problem Mm -hmm. using one a Taylor Swift reference but two like making fun of themselves for like either being behind on trends or not keeping up with the trends or like why we can't post certain things but then they post it anyway but in another way they're still participating in it Mm
0: -hmm. but
1: this idea of relatability that you talk about and like the authenticity like that has to get approved so social media in my experience used to be such a curated thing it was very branded, all of that. But now what we're seeing is like that sense of re- relatability that companies are trying to have. And I feel like I'm going off track with this.
0: No, I see what you're yeah. saying though. Cause it's <laughs> like, it, it. I think at a, at a point in time, it was a lot of people on social media doing their thing on mm-hmm. Twitter or Facebook when those were kind of like the really big ones, uh, maybe 10 years ago. And then you know, corporations, advertisers, they learn, oh, this is a huge communication area. We should be communicating in there. So they're, they establish themselves as that institution, but then it sort of became like, oh, well, there's, you know, the accounts that are real people talking to each other. And then there's the like, like business accounts. And those are just ads. Whereas now... People on sites, the users, maybe they're reacting to current events or maybe there's just a trend or a, a viral dance or whatever. And I, it's like the brands, oh yeah, us too. Like we, we want to play too. And it's almost like when you're a kid and your parents think what you think is cool is also cool. Mm-hmm. It's not cool anymore.
1: Is this also like celebrities? They're just like us. They mm-hmm. go grocery shopping.
0: Yeah, it's like that, but it's like the person running the McDonald's account is just like me. They tweeted from their couch. I'm sorry I, I know this is just one example and I'm like tearing it apart. It's but a
1: good example.
0: It just it it's so strange. There's this artist I follow on Instagram. Shen Comics. Have you heard of? I
1: have not. Them?
0: Um they're a cartoonist. I don't know their pronouns, so I'm just gonna Almost different day. But uh, Shen had this really funny panel, I'll send it to you, but it's like a robot and in a boardroom and all the people are like, why is no one relating to our brand on social media? So they take human skin and stretch it over the robot's face mm-hmm. and the robot says something like LOL relatable or something, you know, that sounds like a sincere message on the internet. And they're like, ah, there it is. And that I think about that a lot, a robot with human skin stretched over it. Because like you said, not only is it the whole marketing team, but this is a massive organization. There are huge bureaucratic mechanisms and processes in place related to their messaging and laws they have to follow in their messaging. So it's not, I, yeah, I'm not buying it
1: in discussing this house of spectacle are we contributing to it being a spectacle by having this social discussion about it
0: i don't know i i'm inclined to say no because mm. this is not the response that they attempted to elicit you know yeah i don't think i think really it's at the end of the day it's to get you to think about mcdonald's um which I guess we are. We are plugging McDonald's sponsor us (laughs) uh, to talk shit about your advertising team. (laughs) But no, I think- It helps you
1: think critically about your ads.
0: Exactly. I think it's like, it depends on how it's received. So I think receiving it critically and spending, because this is a TikTok. Normally I'd look at this Mm -hmm. for two seconds and move on. Yeah. But we're spending as much mo- more time than I would spend with most paintings in the Met, right? Like, we're really looking at it and that lets us get it at the deeper level, which is mm-hmm. the whole point of the podcast in the first place.
1: So, in talking about the spectacle, I really wanted to talk today about how weddings are, one, a spectacle like you go, you watch, but then also a spectacle in the sense of digital media and media practices that we participate in. Did that make
0: sense? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Are you saying that like a (laughs) wedding, like weddings? So again, we're working with an idea that we're not really defining. There's something called the spectacle that this guy has an idea about. And I think what you were saying is that there's... Spectacle within the practice of the wedding itself, mm-hmm. but then also the, the...
1: way that Debor talks about it. So we have an understanding of what a spectacle is outside of critical theory. Of like, oh yeah, that's a spectacle. Like that is yeah, sp- it's spectacular. Yeah. It's um, yes.
0: it's something. Yeah, I think the act. Let's let's look up like the dictionary definition mm-hmm. of spectacle. But let's look up the etymology of it. Yeah, Latin. The original is Latin specere for to look, which spectar, "spectaculum," public show, and then spectacle. Yeah, so it, public sh- it's like something that you watch. It's It should have some entertainment quality. It's something that, it, like, there's a reason that I think Times Square is a helpful image. Could you show the cover of your book, too, it's for anyone not watching, it's a bunch of people in, uh, it appears to be a movie theater wearing what looked like old 3D glasses. And they're all facing a screen watching something. These are the sorts of images that reading oh. and thinking about the spectacle conjures. Yes. Oh, I love when <laughs> books do that, when it goes right? to the other side. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we have a general understanding of what a spectacle is. And then guide Debord presents another way of thinking about a spectacle. And I wrote a seminar paper about the spectacle in the class that Grant and I were in. And I started off my paper by saying that there is no one definition. He presents it as a bunch of it is's and it is not. And so I have a couple that we'll go through as we talk about weddings. But generally speaking, I want to first approach the idea of a wedding as a ritual to set that foundation and see what differs between the physical practice of a wedding in modern day and what we do now for social media and for a bunch of people online.
0: Okay. Wedding is ritual. Let's get into it.
1: Yes. So when we think of a ritual, we think of some spiritual tie to a routine practice. Like, there's that line between routine and ritual, whereas ritual is, like, there is an evoking of feeling or religious spiritual, like...
0: I think there's something tie. grander.
1: Yeah. It, a- it's a process,
0: mm-hmm. I think,
1: is uh, the dictionary definition. And so we think of what is something... That's normal within a wedding, like the ceremony. Yeah, like are, the the,
0: uh, the the procession.
1: Yes, we have the procession. Then we have the um, like order of how people walk down the aisle. Mm-hmm. Um, we have who stands on what side, who sits on what side, how they are standing. It also depends on the officiant. If you have somebody from the church, a friend, a family member, all of that how you walk out. And then at the reception, you have the cake cutting, you have speeches.
0: There's so, yeah. Now that we're like exchanging jewelry, this is, and now we love each other forever. It's when you take a step away from it and look at it as a ritual, like you're an anthropologist from a different culture. That's when you see kind of what we're, how we're using the word ritual because Mm -hmm. I think it can connote like a like a rain dance or some sort of like prehistorical sense or pre-civil sense, but there's rituals everywhere. I would consider a morning routine a type of ritual, or mm-hmm. um you know, making a cup of coffee, summoning my caffeine for the day uh mm-hmm. is sort of a ritual, and it takes on a little bit more meaning. But then yeah. there's these really intense rituals, like weddings, that we we know. There's differences that we know to expect depending on the, typically the, the families or the people getting married or the families of those people getting married in terms of like, are there formal religious components of this ritual? For example, Greek Orthodox weddings, there's a, a moment where the two people getting married wear flower crowns that are like tied together to a cross and they it's all made of real flowers and they walk around. And it's a really beautiful part of that ceremony, but that's not something I have seen at a a wedding that I've attended. But if I saw it, I'd kind of, that it kind of fits my idea of a wedding and it fits within the rituals in a wedding I already know. So there's a lot of variation, but it's all still sort of ritual.
1: Yeah, there's that one element to it that makes it a ritual. But then when we look at modern traditions, we have bridesmaid dress colors, we have a color scheme, we have flowers, but then we have a videographer, we have a photographer. Somebody I know got married recently and they had a videographer and within the week there was a teaser video that was put on social media.
0: A teaser for their wedding video?
1: Yes. I was a wedding videographer a couple years ago. We didn't have that in 2019.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We have a teaser for a wedding video, and this is going to, one, people who were a part of the wedding, but it was also on social media, so a bunch of people who were not invited to the wedding are able to see this teaser trailer. Mm-hmm. Teaser, trailer, same thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What do you think about the teaser?
0: And First, I, think, a teaser. <laughs> I I think it's hilarious to think of it as a teaser because... Normally you see a teaser and it's for a movie and you're like, "Oh, what's going to happen?" But we we kind of know what's going to happen with the wedding. Mm-hmm. But I think it gets at the documenting a wedding is crucial. It mm-hmm. is one of the most important parts of the ceremony. And I think that's where the spectacle really starts to come in, which we'll we'll get to in a sec. I think it gets to the point where the documenting is so important that it it starts to interfere or at least interact with the the actual ritual elements of of the wedding. So for example, I officiated my sister's wedding over the summer and it was, it was, I loved doing it. It was a very special moment for me and my whole family. But uh, so when, during the rehearsal, I was instructed that after I say, you may now kiss the bride, I need to jump out of the way so that the pictures don't have me in the background, like cheesing it up with the bride and (laughs) groom or kissing after the ceremony. And I just thought that was funny that like, as the officiant, it's like, okay, you've officiated and get out of the way because we have a picture to take. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even think anything of it because of course, yeah, you have a picture to take, you gotta get it. So I think the documenting, it affects the wedding, but, when it's going to that point that it's, why are you documenting it? Is it to circulate mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. And that's where it's it's really interesting and sort of new with social media, new as in the last 20, 30 years, because I feel like before you get a VHS copy of your wedding video and watch it, you know, maybe on your anniversary or yeah. like you get some pictures that out. go in a scrapbook. Yeah, exactly. Whereas now it's like, the wedding's really not complete until there's documentation and people are tagged in photos and it's, you really like you can find if there's a wedding where a lot of people from the same sort of network attended, you'll be able to see a lot of that wedding online. Mm -hmm. It's very, very important.
1: Yeah. That was my question for you. Who are we documenting for? Mm -hmm. And that pressure to document. It is so expensive to document a wedding. Also, I say this as having gotten paid for documenting weddings, so I do acknowledge that, but it's very expensive to document a wedding. But also, I wanna talk about the practice of like intimacy and the social aspect that you just mentioned of people in a similar network seeing photos from, a wedding
0: mm-hmm.
1: i do a lot of research about influencers and their media practices and how they curate an illusion of intimacy and authenticity and connection even though you truly like don't know them um i know a lot of people being in my 20s who are getting married right now and
0: oh yeah and lo- yeah
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> like a lot of people
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and i spend a lot of time being like oh my god They got married at a lake. Oh, my God, look at that dress. Look at those colors, like, with the mountains and the fog behind them. Like, that is perfect. I didn't go to their wedding. I haven't talked to them in, like, four years. Yeah. But we are still participating in that wedding. And also, before we had social media to share this entire album of, like, over 100 photos, those were meant for immediate family, immediate friends, cousins, you didn't have like hundreds and thousands of people looking at your photo, discussing it, or adding it to their own like Pinterest board of like, oh, I want to do that at my wedding.
0: Exactly. So like sharing and documenting these, it's, it's almost as if my wedding, this very intensely personal and important ceremony and moment in my life, is also at the same time, because it's still that, but at the same time, it is something that shows to anyone who's looking out there, it contributes to the body of images and media that show what a wedding looks like Mm -hmm. or what a wedding is. And I think that's the key difference that you sort of were just, you, you sort of have led us to here is that I'm not only getting married and doing the ceremony elements, it's also, this is my sort of take on what a wedding is. And let's not forget that even without documenting, weddings are stupid expensive. And most of the materials and amenities and the spectacle of the wedding would not have been possible Mm pre-industry and and pre-mass production. I think the average wedding now has more flowers and and food than than any sort of ceremony like that for most working class people pre you know pre industrial revolution and that's really interesting because it, i'm sorry i just thought of another one so it's getting married that's important the ceremony all that then contributing to the images of what a wedding is and then there's a third part that I just thought of that mm. I already forgot. And give me a sec, I'm gonna remember it. Oh, it's it's what materials are there to express myself and what can I afford. Yes, And yeah, there it is. The, econ- the financial economic side of it.
1: It's insane how much you can rack up in the aesthetics of a wedding. And like, I do this, my Pinterest board is covered with photos and like, really sparkly things do i know the cost of them no i don't want to know because i'm probably not gonna have it at my wedding <laughs> right. um but the fact that all of these images online and they're more popular ones and then there are also photos that people have started looking back on being like oh why would you why would you do that at your wedding
0: mm-hmm.
1: but then that is applied to people this was like their special day um yeah. backtracking i have been seeing a lot of tiktoks of the halo ring being like outdated and this is like a. It, it's a ring with like a halo around it
0: okay
1: it's a ring <laughs> um
0: an engagement ring or a wedding an
1: engagement ring okay yeah and it is set or it was very popular in like 2016 2017 2018 and people now on tiktok are being like oh that ring is so outdated and it's like Mm -hmm. this is my engagement ring that somebody spent a lot of money on and it and now you're saying that that's outdated and not in style and therefore does not contribute to like what a good wedding ring or a good engagement ring should be and also like in discussing how our media practices normalize a certain behavior. And I don't want to say like, tell us what we should want, but it tells us what we should do and want to do and models a example for how we should be going about something like a wedding.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it creates a sort of like a formula for, the wedding, But I think it's interesting with the halo rings because there's so many material decisions that go into planning a wedding down to what silverware you use. And those sorts of decisions are subject to the same kind of processes that change trends in personal style or home decor. Things go out of style. So we could, which actually I have the perfect quote to respond to that from Please. Spectacle. Mm-hmm. Talking about, like, the idea of a wedding ring going in and out of style, which is hilarious, because that's, yes. your, that's your wedding ring. That but is... also, it's
1: from, like, four years ago. It's not, yeah. like, an 1800, like, ring.
0: Exactly. And also, if you showed someone who didn't know what a ring was, because they are not a, they don't occur in nature, didn't know what a ring was. The two rings, a halo ring and a ring that's considered better or more fashionable or desirable now, they probably wouldn't really discern much difference. But we grow up seeing all these different materials and products around us so we can discern really nuanced differences that allow us to decide if something is good or bad or worth the money or expresses us. And that's very much something that Guy Debord, I think, says is attributed, he attributes that to the spectacle, the fact that these trends are changing and moving so fast. He wrote this in 1967. And this translation that I'm working with is from 1944, or 1994. Waves of enthusiasm for particular products fueled and boosted by communication media are propagated with lightning speed. That's Debord thesis 67. And I read that and I initially thought of Doc Martens because that was like, bam, everyone has Doc Mm -hmm. Martens and we're all stoked about it. That metaphor is great for waves of enthusiasm because it sort of comes in and then it goes out and then things come back in style and we get excited about it again. And these are things that are intensely, if not completely tied to the communication media, as he says, and he's talking about TV, radio, and like newspaper I don't even know what DeBord would do if he saw TikTok, Instagram, Times Square today. He, he, I don't know what would happen. He'd probably (laughs) be like, I was right. (laughs) I told you. (laughs) What you said made me think of that because it's, it's like whiplash.
1: We think of fashion. We think of trends. And when we go to museums or even think about it in history class or something, it's very set in like decades of time. Now we're doing it in, like, seasons. If you think of Uggs, the Uggs, when we were in, like, middle school and high school, were, like, very tall. Very tall. Now it's like if you're wearing those, you're, like, out of style. But if you wear the shorter ones, you're good to go. And this year, they got even shorter. Last year, it was, like, the mini and the ultra mini. And this year, it's the slipper. I don't know what it's called. But it's a one-year time period. Like... (laughs)
0: So you were a wedding videographer Mm -hmm. at one point. What was that like for you? Because I would feel very nervous about documenting it in a way that will, one, please the client, but two, capture it. Because if you miss the wedding, like that's their wedding and they, they want this documented. So how were you feeling as you went about documenting this wedding or weddings? How many did you do? I
1: did four in total. And I did not like it at all. Okay. I absolutely hated it. One, because there was so much pressure. I'm not saying that you can mess up in any other field, but like if you mess up on a wedding day, you you really messed up. (laughs) But I also had minimum two cameras at a time. So I had backup and I hated the editing process because I was trying to make a story of their day which might not have been their interpretation of their day. There was also one wedding I filmed where it was a bad wedding. <laughs> I think it was a bad wedding. Bride and groom fought on mm, the wedding mm-hmm. day like things were not going right, but I still had to make this beautiful story and that was so hard. Yeah. Whether the day goes well or not, you still have to make it this grand, beautiful, magical thing. And I I simply could not do it. I left.
0: <laughs> That's so interesting.
1: Yeah.
0: I haven't been to many weddings, I've been to like two or three. But at the last one I was at, it did seem that relative to most events like that that are memorable or picturable, people typically have their phones out, documenting somehow. Mm-hmm. But I think at weddings, having professional people there to document almost takes sort of that pressure off Mm -hmm. and might even, you know, people still use their phones and that's great taking group pictures or whatever, but I really think it takes the pressure off. But either way, it's understood by everyone there that we need to document this and we need to document it well. Mm -hmm. And that is a very critical part of- accomplishing this wedding it's yeah. really it's it's built into the ritual
1: it is you have it scheduled into the day so we are no longer doing the first look of bride and groom at the ceremony we're doing it two hours before so you can mm-hmm. spend two hours taking photos
0: yep exactly. That's a whole
1: new practice when i was a videographer i'm a nobody i don't know them Their parents are there. Their close friends are there. And I felt like I was constantly getting in the way of these immediate family and friends to capture Mm. a video of like their first kiss as a married couple. And I was like, I know you want this documented. I know I have to be in the way, but I feel really bad that people who are here to celebrate you, like I'm in their way. Like,
0: (laughs) wow, that's, that's really intense, because it it creates a sort of tension between the need to document, because that's how this wedding exists and lasts into the future and is remembered, but you felt that it it could have been at the expense of enjoying that present moment and fully experiencing it. You felt like an intruder. Mm -hmm. I, I, I feel that way, not all the time, because... It is, I do love having photos to look back on and share, but I do sometimes feel like, man, like I have to stop what I'm doing and, and take a picture. And, and that's, I wish that it wasn't such an intense pressure. Yeah. But I think it's pretty across the board. I wrote a paper one time. It was a participant observation. I do qualitative research. So ethnography interviews, focus groups, that's, that's what I'm building a career in right now. I did an observation at the World War II Memorial when I was still living in DC. And specifically focusing on how people documented their experience there. Because it's on the mm-hmm. National Mall. You can sort of infer that most people there are probably there for the first time. And there's this thing called the tourist gaze where you go somewhere new and there's things that capture your attention, you want to take pictures of. I we all do it. I do it every time I go somewhere new, I'm mm-hmm. like, wow, I, I gotta get the tourist gaze pictures out. I gotta take the pictures. <laughs> And so I watched people taking pictures at the World War II memorial. And so World War II, not a great moment. And then you have people like there's, you know, like the memorial behind them, and they're like, hey, yeah, uh, or playing music and um, like, go oh, Johnny, go pose over there, like in front of that, like plaque about the women who saved lives uh, in manufacturing. At first I was like, oh, is how, what is this? Is this disrespectful? We're in a memorial for a very serious thing that we need to remember accurately and prevent from happening ever again. And then I thought, this actually is, is these people demonstrating how important this place is to them. As I watched and saw people weren't documenting just to document. Like it was something they thought about and were intentional about and was something that was important to them going to this location and experiencing it. And maybe there's some ways documenting can detract from that present experience, but I think there's also some ways that it, it can be a way to demonstrate the value of something. I don't know. That's You, you really hit it on the head though, like that tension between the present yeah. And getting the getting the the copy of it in media We sort of change gears from like the professional documenting to the personal, but I'm a huge advocate for documenting moments of personal significance, mm-hmm. but also moments of historical significance that present themselves to you. i'm an I'm an amateur street photographer. I've presented. One time, were you at Media Fest when I talked at that? No, I wasn't. Oh, that's okay. I'll show. Um, maybe we can talk about street photography sometime on this, because it's a really wonderful idea, and so you know, millions and millions of people are walking around with great cameras all the time. Mm -hmm. So I, I like, like I did a an exhibition of of the signs and symbols of the COVID nineteen pandemic. Basically, when the pandemic started, I started seeing signs. Like, I was in New York when it started, and there was like. 32 bar counts to sing while you wash your hands and things like that, like very New York musical theater scene. So I just started taking pictures of things like that. Or if I saw like when I I was in Texas for part of the pandemic and there's this giant lizard that they decorate outside the zoo and they put a mask on it. And so these are all, all very fleeting historical images that I was trying to document and was able to document through my phone. And so I bring that up because I don't want to make it sound like taking pictures is all bad. Like there's, Mm -hmm. I really think there's another side to it that is democratizing and enriching and important to Mm -hmm. interacting with the world now. What are your thoughts on that? We have this urge to document that might take us away from something, Mm -hmm. but how might we address that need that has been sort of manufactured by our media system and gotten into us or into our rituals, probably Mm -hmm. more accurately? What's the like, What's your take on the flip side?
1: I think the fact that it calls so deeply to us and recognizing when you're about to reach for your phone or something and being like, what is it about this moment that I want to capture and being like, oh, this means a lot to me. And that can be the reason. Like, it means a lot to me. Exactly. And like, it doesn't have to go beyond that. Like, you can take your photo and then like, keep going.
0: (laughs) And I think that's such a great thing to catch. Like, oh, it means a lot to me. It's such an important thing to notice in yourself because then you can be like, why? I often take pictures of tags. A lot of people think that a lot of graffiti and stuff is, is gang related, which it, it is and can be. But often it's a teenager or just an individual who has a name that wants to do street art or tagging. And there is certain kind of unspoken rules and I'm going to use all the language wrong because I'm new to learning about this and I also am such an outsider but I love to take pictures of it and I notice like oh I know that name like I know I've seen that name before I've seen that logo before and I take pictures of it because I feel like that's a way that people are interacting with their community and customizing and it is a crime sure but I that makes it even more interesting and so yeah. paying attention to like when that urge inside you when that when you do reach for your phone Mm -hmm. what about that yeah or like on halloween i mentioned i had a halloween gathering and i knew i was decorating and i thought "Mm, people are going to want somewhere to take pictures so i set up a wall dedicated to taking photos Mm -hmm. and i was and i was right (laughs) everyone took pictures there (laughs) and i didn't even have to tell them that was the photo wall they just knew yeah
1: like it is so it's just how we exist now mm-hmm. like it's in our everyday practice i think it's just how how we are wired to like live and exist and interact with things um that sounds a little like ugh, but i mean it mm-hmm. in like the good way of like that's just who we are
0: yeah the word wired something the spectacle does is naturalizing which is an idea mm-hmm. that's come up before and that's sort of when a piece of media or a media system makes something seem inevitable or natural or the only possible result of a natural series of events. And so when you say wired, it is. It's an impulse that it's obviously socially constructed because it depends on the technology. If we didn't have mobile cameras, that impulse probably wouldn't be there, but maybe we'd feel more of an impulse to write or draw or whatever. But I think that that need, that want is related to the spectacle and spectacular living, because when you read the Society of the Spectacle, it's it's pretty shocking that it was written before social media, before the Internet. And how much of the sort of trends in human behavior as related to the mass media system are exacerbated by social media. Like the, like the trends we were talking about, moving faster and faster, it seems. It's significant, it, it, it's, it's pretty shocking. So I talked about spectacle as naturalizing and a phrase that Debord uses is it creates an unreal unity, which I'm not even exactly sure. What do you think that means? Unreal unity between what?
1: I understand it at the most basic level. Let's go back to weddings. You get married, you share all these photos, and you share these photos with people who were not present at your wedding. I think that sense of, oh my God, I get to see their wedding photos. And that ties us together still, even though I might not have talked to them in years. That's one way of how I view this sense of like unreal unity of like that doesn't exist. Just because you see photos does not mean there's a real connection.
0: Sorry, I could. Oh, you're good. A, a bee in my apartment, but I've never seen a bee in here. That's fine. Is it a bee? I don't. <laughs> Is it a bug? Oh, it's gone now. It's a bug. Oh, okay. I I had a a, a leak, and the painter came, painter came yesterday, so I had to open the windows to uh, let it dry. That's uh, so why there's some bugs in here. Sorry, what were you saying? Lovely.
1: So that's like how. I view unity in one sense, but also in the other sense that we are all doing this together. We're all taking photos together. We're all on the same like social media platforms. Like we're all together. I'm thinking of unity in that sense as well.
0: I'm really glad you touched on both of those. This applies in a lot of ways. Like you said, there's the unreal, the sort of unity of time and space as if I'm at the wedding, I experience certain components of it. And then I sort of think of it as an unreal unity of what is and is not a wedding. Mm
1: -hmm. We have
0: very, very strong associations with what is wedding related or appropriate for a wedding and what is not. Mm -hmm. Let's say you're planning a wedding and you need to think about decor. Mm -hmm. What sort of decor items are important to think about for a wedding, just visuals?
1: Flowers, tablecloth, plates, candles
0: the literally flowers, tablecloth plates were my first three too. <laughs> I think, and I think a lot of people would say that flowers, I think immediately. And then, mm-hmm. uh, there's the attire, the dress, the, um, what's the altar look like all that. But, but then there's, there's also things that aren't considered in that, like what artwork is around the venue. Mm-hmm. That's not something you'd really, some people might, and that would still be like, If I went to a wedding where that was a part of the decor, like hanging paintings or whatever, or ornate ribbon, or I don't know how they decorate, I I would think, oh, that's a unique take. That's something specific to this wedding. That's not like within the unreal unity of what is and is not a wedding. So it's like a flexible boundary. But I I think that that's what we learned through the spectacles: what is and is not a wedding,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: or. Or associated with the wedding.
1: I'm going to be really mean in what I'm about to say. And I completely acknowledge that. I saw photos of somebody using, like, the paper streamers as decor at their wedding. And I went full judgmental. I was like, why? Because we use those for Halloween parties.
0: I did, yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Like... Those I expect at these types of parties, but not at the wedding
0: level. Right. But again, like you could have maybe like silk fabric drapes or whatever. And mm-hmm. someone who's not used to being around these materials all the time would not be able to discriminate. Yeah, And that's why it, but it seems so natural. And that's what we mean by naturalization. That difference between those streamers and those drapes or curtains is completely fabricated. Yeah so it's an unreal unity but it's also an unreal separation and i i want to go back to my what i was saying about the this sort of flexible boundary because another thing the spectacle does is it shows us all that is human when you're looking in media you see what's out there or what type of people are out there that you can be Mm -hmm. and that's why representation is so important because if if you're only seeing binary conceptions of gender out there you are Probably more inclined to think that you're supposed to be one of those and and something inside of you, wherever that came from, doesn't that that feels like it does an injustice to that. And so when there are more ways to express what's out there, there are more options, more gender identities or ways of doing gender, that opens up all that is human. It like adds to the buffet table of all that is human. And that's a phrase I'm taking directly from the board, is all that is human. And I'm going to say it one more time. All that is human. Time and time again, I come back to that. And I picture like a cube of gelatin that's sort of wiggling that I can sort of go in and carve out what is human and and hold it and show you. But it's it moves because it relates to context and periods in history and, and in the material media environment that you live in. Mm-hmm. so i guess then we can take all that is human and apply that to all that is wedding what is or is not a wedding is what is shown um, yeah i think we can keep this in because i think it's a very interesting ritual at weddings and we haven't talked about this is alcohol consumption um, which i i would love to talk about drugs and alcohol and how they're portrayed mm-hmm. uh, at some point have you seen stranger things
1: only the first season.
0: Okay. So in the newest season, there's a stoner character. And it's very, I am very interested in depictions of marijuana use in pop mm. culture. But anyways, <laughs> my sister got married in the state of Colorado, where recreational cannabis has been legal since 2015. And I grew up in Colorado. It's comparable to a glass of wine. It's something people use to relax. Parents use it. It's, there's weed moms, which is, you know, there's also a lot of people of color in prison serving hard time. For possession of marijuana. So let's not forget that. But regardless, my sister and in her wedding smoked a joint and they took pictures after like, instead of popping a bottle of champagne, she and her husband then smoked a stogie. That to me is an opening up of all that is wedding because you sort of take the step of like, well, we're, we have this ritualistic consumption of alcohol that it's okay to, we even consume it in airports. Mm-hmm. And we, now we're introducing another substance that is sort of analogous, but also very, very different with a different history and different physical effects. But, and I should mention, there are pictures of this. This was part of the photo shoot, smoking, <laughs> smoking the joint. And mm-hmm. it's like popping champagne. Yeah. And the fact that I can make that connection is what sort of allows me to include the marijuana in what is all that is wedding Thoughts?
1: I think what I have to say to that is I didn't even know that was a thing that you could
0: do. Exactly. Because it's not a part of all that is wedding. I'll double check, but I really don't think either of them would care that I'm mentioning their wedding. The reason I keep talking about it, one, I officiated. And so I was really involved. But two, there were a lot of things about it that weren't traditional. There were no wedding parties. Instead, they did a love committee. So not divided by gender or anything, just the bride and groom's shared friends all participating together. Mm-hmm. And that, again, is, oh, different. Didn't know you yeah. could do that. However, now that I think about it, it does fit, a, it kind of fits with all that is wedding. I recognize there are probably a lot of people would much rather follow more, more traditional approaches to a wedding or might have a smaller notion of all that is wedding but the main point is just that we get those notions and then they, they evolve and adapt and change. And it's all tied to the media system.
1: And I know you mentioned earlier how we receive it. There are so many things outside of even weddings that it is a, a weird way of phrasing it, but I didn't know I had the permission to do it that way until I saw it and it was like, oh, because I saw it, I am now allowed to do this as well. And before that, it hadn't even crossed my mind. Or it was like a, oh, I want to do this. Don't know if I should. And then I saw something similar or of the same and I was like, oh no, if they're doing it, I can do it.
0: Yeah, or like, oh, if they're doing that, then I can do this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of
1: just creating new thoughts of one thing.
0: Yeah. I saw a really interesting wedding practice I hadn't seen before. This couple hired a portrait artist to paint a picture of the wedding as it was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was... i It's probably expensive, but I would love to do that. Because then you yes. have this painting that yeah. really can't be reproduced. And... It's just interesting because we're getting all these pictures, but then there's so much value in just this one because it's created so differently. Yeah. But once you see it, oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. I want that too. I thought,
0: yeah. and I was I, like,
1: that's incredible. Mm-hmm.
0: That would hang forever as long as long yes. as long as you're with that person. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear from anyone listening out there. We need a name for our fan base, by the way. Um, we'll we'll brainstorm that. So as as all as all you are listening and in your thinking about the spectacle, I'm curious if anyone has any any anecdotes or memories of weddings they've attended, or maybe weddings they've seen on social media that they think relate to this or that is or isn't wedding. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on that. So before we sign off and and get on with our day, you have class. I'm going to be doing some work here. We've talked about weddings and the spectacle. Why do we feel like crying so much? Why do you feel like crying so much given our discussion today?
1: Because it is all around us. You bringing up the McDonald's ad in Times Square and seeing that on tiktok and i didn't even have to go to Times square to see that i don't know like getting into the pigeonhole of thinking about everything critically of everything that we consume and see and like seeing something as intimate as a wedding Mm -hmm. as a critical topic is i don't know
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah i think i don't know that i feel like crying so much today i actually feel pretty good I think the reason for that is because there is still such intense personal significance and personalization of weddings and such that I just think weddings and love are good. And that <laughs> it's even though we are being critical of them and seeing dimensions of it that are are troubling or strange or confusing, it's still a celebration of romantic love and a sort of community building event. So I feel good today.
1: We love feeling good.
0: Yeah, so I don't, maybe it's it's tears of joy like you would cry at a wedding for me.
1: Oh, I love that. <laughs> can I slightly change my answer? Of course. Okay.
0: You can um, completely change your answer if you want.
1: Okay, because I thought of another reason why I want to cry, so. <laughs> I am not engaged at all. I don't not a even a little coming bit. up. I'm not even a little bit. Like, <laughs> a wedding is not in my future at all right now. But in thinking about everything that we do for social media and what is a part of a wedding and sitting down and planning it and thinking about all the details that go into it, that does make me want to cry a little because there are so many parts. <laughs>
0: Yep. And people, it's kind of expected that you tend to all of them.
1: Mm-hmm. But lucky for me, I don't have to think about it soon.
0: Yeah. Lucky for me, I identify as a man and we typically are not trusted with a lot of the responsibility in the planning.
1: Which we went a whole <laughs> yeah. other episode yeah. about that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, definitely. All right. Bye.
1: Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening.
0: <laughs> yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Follow us on Instagram at Media Culture and Y Pod, and we'll see you next time.